good to see everyone here this afternoon. As Ronnie said, your little bulletin has the outline for this afternoon's lesson as well. So you can kind of gauge how far I am in the lesson. It's obviously condensed, but it does have the beginning and the end. So you'll know where I'm at at that point in time and can uh, adjust accordingly. But um, this afternoon, if you would, turn to Romans, the second chapter. We're starting in verse 4. We've, we've mentioned this verse a couple of times this morning in our lesson. Uh, this afternoon, we want to talk about the goodness of God. We talked about the wrath this morning. And so let's talk this afternoon about the goodness of God. And the thing about the goodness is many people live their lives with little regard to the goodness of God. They don't think about it. They're unaware of how gracious God has been and is willing to be toward them. In fact, they're unaware of how their neglect will one day come back to haunt them. And it's one that I think sometimes that we all fall into that, that we forget about the goodness of God. We, everything is going well for us, um, and we, especially in this country, we don't sometimes think about where it's coming from, and it's coming from God. And so if you give him much thought to the goodness of God, you know, the many blessings that he bestows upon us and the consequences if you fail to respond properly to his goodness. And so one passage of scripture that ought to give us pause is, is written, as I said, in Romans, the second chapter, starting in verse four, and we'll read uh, four through 11, in which Paul expounds upon the goodness of God. It says in verse four, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God." And so from verse 4, we can glean some things. First of all, we can talk about the nature of His goodness. And the first thing He mentions is His riches. Verse 4, or do you despise His riches? And then we can talk about the riches that He offers us. He is rich in grace. Ephesians 1 and in verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. He offers us that. He is rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 4. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. So He's very merciful. He is a very merciful God. He's very rich in mercy. He is rich in supplying need. Philippians 4 and in verse 19. Philippians 4 19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Jesus Christ. And he is rich in giving things to enjoy. First uh, Timothy chapter six and in verse seventeen. First Timothy six seventeen says, "Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And that's always pointed out, especially whenever we uh, do the collection, is we have to understand that everything God gives to us, and He gives to us richly all things to enjoy. He is rich in the strength He provides the Christian. Ephesians 3, verse 16. Ephesians 3, 16 says that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Verse 21 says, To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So one of the natures of, the natures of His goodness is His riches, but it also mentions forbearance, His forbearance. And forbearance means a holding back. And God is holding back whenever we do the things that we do in this world. We see God's forbearance. If we look in Psalm 78, we can look in, in the days of Israel. Psalm 78 and verse 38 says, But He, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time He turned His anger away and did not stir up all His wrath. And we're seeing that in our Wednesday night Bible study of the children of Israel going good, then they fall going good, then they fall. And there's times that, that God is, is, you know, well, pretty much said, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses said, oh, please don't do that. You know, give them a chance. Give us a chance. And he did. He held back. And so we can see that in the days of Israel, but we can also see it in our present day because the fullness of God's wrath has yet to come. He can come back at any time. We don't know when that's going to be, but at the you know, the way that we live this life here on this earth, you know, He has the right, of course, He created us. He can come back any time that He wants, but we don't help things by, by living an ungodly life and doing what Israel showed us the example of not to do in a lot of cases. He also has, uh, in nature of His goodness, His long-suffering. And long-suffering, as described by Strong's, is a slowness in avenging wrath. And we see God suffering long. If we look back uh, in, in the days of Noah prior to the flood, it mentions in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 20, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. God was long-suffering. We see it in our present day, prior to the day of judgment. 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 9. 2 Peter 3 and in verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, and that's a good thing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and we read that this morning, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, 
Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And so in our present day, we know that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. It's going to ha happen. Um, but He's given us every opportunity to come to Him before it is everlasting too late because we don't know when that's going to be. And we need to treat it as such. Is every day could be our last day here on this earth. We don't know when it's going to be. And if we want to have that home in heaven, we need to be living the life that God expects us to live. What the definition of a biblical Christian is, not man's idea of what Christian is. We see a lot of folks out there that wear the name Christian, but we know for a fact that they probably are not, especially with the way that we see some of their lives and the way that they do some of their religious um, worship services. And, uh, but we always look outwardly, but we can also look inwardly in our lives. Are we following what the Word of God says? Because we all stumble and we all fall. And we need to get back up and keep on the right path. The psalmist summarizes well the nature of God's goodness. In Psalm 86 and in verse 15, Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. And so as we look back in our text in Romans, we are told of the purpose of His goodness. It should, as it tells us in Romans 2 and in verse 4, it says, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It should lead one to repentance. God's goodness is intended to cause man to repent. And it's based on Paul's description of repentance. You know, elsewhere, God's goodness should produce such things. We should, we should be doing that. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. If we look and keep your finger in Romans, but look in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 7 and in verse 9, it says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. And I think back to our uh, Josiah example this morning. When he, they found the book of the law and they looked into it and he was read that, he tore his clothes, he was... He was ready to come back. He knew what was wrong, and he wanted to uh, make change. He, he repented, if you will, of all that, and wanted to do the things that were right once he even knew what was more. I mean, he was already on the path, but once you open up the book, there's lots of people that are doing good, and they're living their, and we'll put it in quotes, Christian life. But if they open up the book and truly read it, then they'll know what a true Christian is and what needs to be done. And then we should be made sorry and led to repentance. You know, a change of mind is what a repentance is. And that's what Strong uh, defines it as. It's a turn uh, uh, from sin to God. And we, we see in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 7, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And so we want godly sorrow. And it should lead one to do what is good. That's the whole goal. You know, as just described an indication of true repentance there, if we look in verse 11, follow along there in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, For observe this very thing, that you 
sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And so that is what true repentance is about. It's, you know, we've always heard, I'm just so glad to get that, whatever it was, off my chest. And because it was weighing on your heart and you wanted to get it off, and once it's off, it's just a, a weight of, I don't know, immense pressure off of you whenever you can get that off there. And, and in our sin uh, that we're living in, wanting to please God, once we understand what that is, it's a weight to get that off. It's a weight that is, is glad to be gone. And if we look uh, later described in our text, it should lead to doing good. And we should do it with patient continuance. As it tells us in verse 7 of Romans chapter 2, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. And so where God was long-suffering before, you know, we are to do good patiently now. God was long-suffering before, allowing us to be patient now. Luke chapter 18, 8 and verse 15. Luke chapter 8 verse 15 says, But the ones that fell on the ground, on the good ground, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Keep it and bear fruit with patience. Things don't happen. When you plant a seed, it doesn't necessarily come up overnight. Now, some of the grass seeds can come up in seven days, but that's still a week you have to wait on before it even germinates. But think about trees, fruit trees. If you plant from a seed, or even from grafting for that matter, it doesn't matter, it still takes a number of, of years before it starts producing. But as a farmer that's taking care of those trees, they're still watering and there's still care and all the things that need to go into it, and it produces that patience because you know what the outcome is going to be for that, whenever you have that patient care. And so we need to be patient as well and understand that we can grow and we can do good. God is there for us. And we can do it seeking glory, honor, and immortality. Romans 2 and verse 7, again, the, the last part, you know, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. We're wanting that life with God eternal. We want that glory and honor that will come at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 and in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding, an eternal weight of, uh, is working for us a far more exceeding an, and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we are looking for that glory and honor that will come at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we're looking for immortality. We're looking for incorruption that will be given at the same time. 1 Corinthians 15, 
Verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So we may not be, you know, we don't know when time is going to end for us. Some of us may, obviously some, at some point, whenever that will be, there will be those that are alive and those that have already are asleep. But we're going to have those that uh, will be dealing with it. We will all be taking... Uh, up and being judged. You know, we shall all be changed. And so then we have on the other side the rejection of His goodness as we go on and read. When we reject God's goodness, it's an indication, it's indicative of a hard heart for they despise God's goodness. Romans 2 and in verse 4, we keep coming back to that, that talks about, or do you despise the riches of His goodness? You know, if we're despising it, then it leads into verse 5 where it talks about how they are evidently insensitive and unappreciative of God's goodness. They remain impenitent in their heart. And what that does then, it stores up wrath for the day of judgment, the wrath of God's righteous judgment. Romans 2 and in verse 5 says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So a day of wrath involving indignation, tribulation, and anguish. Verse 8 of Romans chapter 2 tells us, But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, it goes on to tell us that every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek. So we are rejecting God's goodness when we do that. And we have a vivid description of, of which is, you know, we can find in 2 Thessalonians 1 and in verse 7, which we had mentioned uh, this morning. But it, it, does, it does good for us to be reminded, and we've pointed it out in other places. 2 Thessalonians 1 and in verse 7 says, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is, Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Do we want to be put away from God eternally? Well, I would assume by your presence here that is not what you're intending to do. We want to be in the presence of God, and we want to be in, pres in the presence of his, of his glory and of His power. And that means that we want to follow His Word and do the things. And if, if the, when we open up a page and read, and it steps on our toes and makes us change, hopefully we don't have that hardened heart, that impenitent heart, that will keep us from changing. We'll be willing to make that change. And that is what we want, because such... If we don't, such is the end of one who does not properly respond to God's goodness. You know, especially as that manifested through the gospel of Jesus. We have it in front of us. We don't have to guess what it takes 
to be a Christian. We don't have to guess what it takes to live the life of a Christian, and we don't have to guess what it takes to, uh, to know suffering as a Christian. We've got all the examples, but we know what happens after our life here on this earth as a Christian. We have that opportunity of a home in heaven with God by following the gospel of Jesus. You know, Paul will expound later in his epistle to the Romans, but, you know, as we close, we need to be careful to note the last verse that we read in verse 11, it says, there is no partiality with God. He's not going to pick and choose because you are this person versus that person. He's going to do it based upon how you lived your life. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, what race you are, or any of the stuff that it matters, He created us all, and He will judge us all, and there's no partiality in that. He's going to judge you based upon what He expects you to do to please Him. Romans chapter 2 and in verse 9 tells us, Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Everything, those who do evil will be punished. Those who do good will be blessed. And so the question for each of us then is, have we allowed the goodness of God to lead us to repentance of the things that we are doing, especially that repentance called for in the proclamation of the gospel? If we look in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 36, we're familiar with Acts 2 uh, and especially these verses but it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord your God will call. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 17 verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. We have the opportunity to come to God before it is everlasting too late. And as uh, Christians, we have the obligation to let others know about Christ and give them the opportunity to come to God and Christ before it is everlasting too late. Our work is not done until we pass away from this earth when it comes to living our lives for God. We can't do like uh, jobs allow us to do and say, well, I've fulfilled my years of service, whatever that is, fill out my paperwork, retired, and, and go on about my business and let someone else deal with my job. Our job as a Christian never ends. And it is a constant work. It is one that we should look forward to doing because we know what the goal is afterward. Just as when we're working in our secular jobs, we knew what we could come up if we you know, did everything right. We could retire with, 
with some success, with some money to do the things that we wanted to do without having to find another job to keep going. The same with our spiritual life is if we do our job right and follow what God wants us to do, then we can be in His presence eternally, glorifying Him face to face. And so if there's anyone here that needs the help of the congregation anyway, that's why we're here, to encourage one another, to edify one another, and just keep us going through the week. And so if there's anyone here that needs the help of the congregation in any way, come forward as we stand and sing.